TGIMT Mari. This is episode 346. I was like, I could do anything that I wanted in my life. Like I was super goal oriented. I could achieve all these goals, but that was the one thing I could not do. I just couldn't stop drinking. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Odette Kressler. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Catherine. Catherine took her last drink on February 19th, 2002. She is 58 years old and she is from North Dakota. Team, I am so happy to be here sharing another intro. So much has happened since my last one. I mean, we had our retreat in Bozeman where I got to see some of you in person. We also launched registration for our upcoming Costa Rica trip. My kids went back to school. I've ran a few more miles since I'm still training for a marathon and I've eaten a lot more spicy chili mango since my last intro. (laughs) And today I wanna talk about something that may or may not make you a little bit uncomfortable. I want to address that no matter how much we search, there's no manual for recovery. Yes, we have tools. Yes, we have guidance. But ultimately, there is nothing we can refer to in order to achieve that certainty that we are looking for. Because isn't that what we all want? Isn't that the reason why we pick up the next quit lit book or even listen to this podcast? We want answers. We want framework. We want to know it's working. I realize, though, that there is no holy grail of recovery. Nobody can give us a certainty we are all so desperately seeking. We have to accept that and learn to live with some uncertainty. I'm bringing this up because even I find myself searching. I've been over a thousand days sober, and lately, I still don't know if I'm doing it right. I have cravings, strong ones, urges to eject the present moment urges to bolt, urges to leave myself, urges to drink and not tell anyone, urges to lean into my shadow. I'm not scared, and luckily I'm able to recognize what is happening, and I'm so grateful that I have tools to battle these days. Well, on a good day, I let the urge pass. I sit with it, I talk about it with someone, I journal, and on a bad day, on a bad day, I don't drink. I may or may not eat an entire bag of shareable Sour Patch Kids in less than three minutes, or I may project onto my loved ones, or I may isolate. On a bad day, I may not even talk about it. I just put on a mask and pretend everything is okay instead of asking for help. But I don't drink. And it's in these moments that I want that certainty. I want to know that it's normal to still have these moments on year three of this journey. I want to be told that it's okay to have this new cognitive dissonance, one where I know my tools and I know the person I want to be consciously, yet my subconscious still brings out a little scared dead out, one that feels lonely, one that sabotages, and one that doesn't believe in herself. I see it happen and I can't help but wonder, is this normal? Where can I verify that my experience is the experience of someone who is working through recovery. Am I doing it right? Will it always be like this? I want answers. And the thing is, I already know the truth. There is no manual for this. 
I'm writing it as I go. Sometimes it feels like I'm winging it. Sometimes I feel prepared and ready to face the day. Sometimes I even forget about recovery for a few days. Every day is a chapter. The only manual I can refer to is my own. Part of me has to be okay with the uncertainty and with all the blank pages ahead of me. I have to believe that everything I am experiencing is normal, or at least normal just for me. It's what I'm living, and it's probably what I need in order to continue to evolve. Growth is hard. Change is hard. When we choose recovery, we choose to deal with everything that is going on internally while also living a very stressful life externally. I think it's safe to say that most people listening to this podcast have a lot going on. Busy schedules, busy lives. We basically have busy insides and busy outsides. That's a lot of work, team. We're such warriors. I'm so proud of us. And I said warriors, as in fighters, not warriors. I feel like warrior is a hard word for me in English. We are such fighters. I'm just going to say fighters. (laughs) I encourage you to think about this whole manual concept and ask yourselves, what am I looking for? If there were a manual, if it was out there, what would I want to find inside of it? Is it validation? Is it a place where you could clarify that it's okay to be feeling everything that you feel? Is it more tools? Is it words of affirmation? What do you need to hear when you are wondering if you are doing all of this recovery thing right? You don't need a manual to get a hold of those things. You actually have the capacity to give that to yourself so long as you can detect what you need. So just a friendly reminder to credit yourselves every day for every moment that you don't drink. Reminder to be gentle towards yourself and others because we truly never know the battles people are experiencing internally. Reminder to protect your energy. Reminder to have fun to fill some of those blank pages with doodles and highlighters and stickers. Reminder to tell yourself it's okay to have bad days. Reminder to not compare yourself to others. Reminder to take as many naps as you need. You're doing an amazing job. And before we hear from Catherine today, let's hear from our sponsor, Exact Nature. Founded by a father and a son in addiction recovery, Exact Nature's all-natural CBD products are specially formulated to help you face the challenges of recovery. Whether this is addictive cravings, depression, anxiety, or lack of sleep, learn more about what Exact Nature can do for you and how their products can help you. As a Recovery Elevator listener, use the code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order at checkout. That's RE20 at exactnature.com. Thank you, Adette, for the intro. And Recovery Elevator, please help me welcome a very special guest, the First Lady of North Dakota, Catherine Burgum. Catherine, how are you doing today? I am great. I'm super excited to be talking with you today. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. Yeah, thank you. I imagine you've got a pretty busy schedule, so it means a lot to us uh, for you taking the time. And we're, we're excited to excited to hear more from you. Can you tell our listeners how long you've been sober? Uh, My sobriety date is February 19th of 2002. So I have over 19 years of of sobriety now. 
Congratulations on 19 years. That's absolutely amazing. How does it feel? It feels fantastic. Incredible. Wonderful. You know, every day uh, I get emotional talking. I'm sure I will be emotional a lot on this, but you know, uh, every day is a gift really uh, because, um, you know, I know I wouldn't be here. Not even sure I'd be alive, you know, if I hadn't uh, gotten sober. So I'm, I'm, I'm just grateful every day for the opportunity to live another day and, and, you know, do this great work talking about recovery and addiction. Yeah. And thank you so much for what you do. And we're going to, we will get into that listeners. We, we are, we really are in for a treat. Someone who's a huge advocate and a voice for us in this community, but nice job. Nice job on 19 years. Congratulations again. Thank uh, you. Before we get into uh, a little bit of your story, can you tell us about yourself, where you're from, what you do for a living, uh, your family, and most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? Okay. Well, I'm from Jamestown, North Dakota. Originally, I should say I was born in Breckenridge. Uh, we were living in Wapaton at the time, but there was no hospital in Wapaton. So everybody gets born in Breckenridge. And, but I really grew up in Jamestown, North Dakota. What am I, what am I doing now with that? The, the question, well, I have this incredible volunteer job of being the first lady of North Dakota. So uh, that's, that's what I'm doing now. And I really enjoy that. And what do I like to do for fun? I love college football. I mean, and this is the season. I, you know, I love, well, I love the Bison, of course, uh, you know, and, but I love UND also, uh, given that's a big game tomorrow. But I also just, I went to Arizona State undergrad and I just have always loved football. I played women's flag football at Arizona State. It was a quarterback. So anyway, football is a huge, I snowboard. I love to snowboard and, uh, you know, to try to move my body and get a little workout in you know, almost every day. Awesome. Thank you so much. You know, it's crazy. I, every time, every time NDSU player gets played with the, gets put on the NFL, people are always asking, Hey, do you know this guy? And I'm not much of a sports guy. I've heard of this person, but it's cool to see our, our little state get a little national attention For sure. with, some of, with some of the football players we have. All right. Uh, let's dig into this. Can you start out and tell us a little bit about your relationship with alcohol? Um, maybe how it started, how it progressed, and some of the feelings that accompanied that along the way. Sure. Yeah. So, so you know, my relationship with alcohol, the first drink I had was probably when I was eight or nine years old. I stole a beer out of the refrigerator because <laughs> my parents drank every night. Martinis, wine, alcohol is a big part of our life. And, and they seemed to be nicer when they drank, you know? So I was like, oh, it's magic potion. So I stole a beer out of the fridge, took it to the park, drank, drank it on my own. Nobody knew, fell off the swing set, got hurt, you know? And that's kind of what I remember about that. But then when I was in high school, I had a lot of anxiety. I had a lot of depression, which I didn't really know. That's what it was. And a lot of voices in my head telling me I wasn't good enough and and so when I took that first drink when I was in high school, those voices went away. And I thought, I thought it was nirvana because there's some something that will provide me some relief until I had my first blackout when I was in high school, followed by 20 years of blackouts and lots of efforts to stop drinking. I knew in college really that I had an issue with alcohol because the blackouts were, uh, you know, just were becoming a big part of my life. So I, I don't know, should I keep talking or keep yeah. answering questions or, or it just, yeah. Uh, you know, I like that you, I like how you, you said that you found 
that you had found nirvana and i think that's i think that's something that a, that a lot of us find we we feel like we've we found a solution and our vision is is short-sighted we don't really see the consequences of it but it's it's hard to see that when we find something that it's just such a rapid fix quote unquote fix for what we've been struggling with it it brings us that that peace like we didn't like we didn't know as your relationship with alcohol progressed uh, you talked about blackouts did you have any other sort of consequences or concerns from family members along the way uh, yeah for sure i had a i had a lot of consequences you know i mean just uh, well for sure i had a dui that was a big consequence i had a lot of i never i know like i never lost a job um but i just had a lot of you know where my parents were like what were you doing you know what were you, even though they drank a lot you know i don't think they were blackout drinkers you know but so so i yeah you know a lot of consequences mostly consequences where i didn't know where i was you know when i woke up in the morning you know i in the end, I just didn't like that person I, I saw in the mirror. I lost a lot of self-respect because I, I I kept thinking I was like, I could do anything that I wanted in my life. Like I was a super goal oriented. I could achieve all these goals, but that was the one thing I could not do. I just couldn't stop drinking. So the consequences were just many and uh, a variety of things. Um, but, you know, like the, the DUI was the biggest consequence. And that was, that was really kind of what started me on the path of, of recovery. Thank goodness. I don't think we see it in the moment, but these, these things that happen, these kicks in the head from the universe or, or God or our own decisions, however we want to phrase it, feel like an incredible burden at the time, but they can be that, that motivation that we need. Um, I want to touch back. You, you talked about having, you know, being a goal oriented person and, and I imagine successful in many areas, but, but not being able to, to kick it, like not being able to either control or, or quit. Can you share some things that, that maybe you tried to do to either control your drinking or to stop it and what that might've looked like and, and how that felt? Well, I would do the the thing where I'm like, I'm only going to drink on the weekends. And, and then, you know, five o'clock would come around or I'd get home from work, you know, and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to go work out and just going to drink on the weekend. And I just couldn't, couldn't do that. I would start drinking, you know, I was always really big into working out and I just, the choice there was always, there used to be a choice. You're like, okay, I'm going to go work out or I'm going to go meet up with friends or do some, I'm going to play softball, you know, I'm going to do something healthy. And then in the end, the only choice I had was just to go home and start drinking after work. That was, I guess I would say that that was really, really challenging. The, yeah, so though I, I lost the choice in the end, you know, it was like, it wasn't really a decision. I did stop drinking for Lent one year and I was able to not drink for a month. So I thought, I don't really have a problem. I mean, I didn't, I was able to stop drinking for a month. Um, but that, you know, in the end didn't work. I did, I didn't really try a lot of, oh, I'm only going to drink this kind of thing or that kind of thing. It was mostly trying to manage it. It was really trying to like, then when I got home from work, if I started drinking, I would have to really try to set a deadline where I wasn't going to 
drink after 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock because then I would be really hung over the next day or I would start drunk dialing. A lot of people Thank goodness there wasn't <laughs> social media. There wasn't camera phone. Thank goodness for all that. But, you know, in the end, I, I just could, I was hung over every day I went to work. I just, you know, no matter what I tried, I could not, I just, I just couldn't manage it. I couldn't control it. I, when I, when a thought crossed my mind, I want to have a drink. I drank pretty much all the time. I love that the phrase that you said, lost the choice. And there's, there's just so much truth to that. I know I felt like I just want to be able, I just want to be able to drink like I, like I want to drink. I just want to have, and in my mind, that was just, it was a couple beers. And I was like, man, I wish my wife or my family would just get off my back and leave me alone. And like, it's going to be fine. But I didn't realize, you know, like you said, that choice had been lost and, and I was shackled and, you know, we think, I think about moderation and like the, you know, I had a lot of those similar things, these rules that, that I put into place and the idea of moderation, you know, being able to moderate and maybe looking at the numbers, I was able to accomplish that. But if, if, if we look at that mental anguish and the, the gymnastics that were taking place, like, okay, I'm going to have six beers tonight and how do I have them all at once? Do I space it out over four hours? And that's, I mean, there's no, there's no freedom in that. Yeah, you know, and then and then the choice about drinking and driving. I would do this weird thing where people would say, "Are you sure you're okay to drive?" And I'd be like, "Oh yeah, I'm totally fine." Because if I said no, that probably meant I had a problem with alcohol or something, you know. So I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm totally fine." And and then I, it was only later that I realized that like people that don't have an issue with alcohol, they make that choice long before they start drinking. Like, okay. I'm, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to drink tonight. I'm going to take Uber. I'm, you know, I'm going to, and I was like, I had this weird game that I would play that people would think I had a problem with alcohol. If I actually said, no, I can't drive. (laughs) So consequently DUI. So yeah. yeah. The things that we can convince ourselves, it's, you know, that's the insanity. If, you know, for any 12 step followers, they, you know, they talk about the insanity of it and that's, that's it. And I, I feel like it creates this separation in, and who we who we portray ourselves as a person, or who we think we are, or who we want to be, versus some of our actions. Because I don't I don't think there's anybody who's ever drank and drove who's who's proud of that. I know I certainly. I mean, that was a part of my story, and I'm I'm not proud of that at all. And it and that increased shame as people who you know typically to generalize here struggle with dealing with our emotions. I don't know how to deal with the shame, but I know there is one solution, and it it perpetuates that cycle. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, it certainly didn't stop me from, from drinking. And at the time I was working as a human resources manager, I have an MBA in human resources at a printing company that had three shifts and we, I drug tested people. I had to hire and fire people. And then I lived in a town where they published DUIs in the paper. So that came out in the paper and somebody blew it up and posted it all over the plant where I worked. So it was like complete public humiliation, you know, but, you know, I told my boss, I'm like, oh, I got a DUI. And he's like, oh, do you know how many of those I could have gotten? Oh, it's not, that's not a problem. He's like, yeah, don't don't worry about it. Like everybody I told, they're like, not a problem. Nobody's like, maybe you should really think about your drinking, you know, but I only hung around people who drank as much as I did or loved alcohol, or I didn't go to any activities that didn't have alcohol. So, you know, I didn't hang around anybody who'd be like, geez, maybe, you know, maybe you should really think about whether this is good or bad. Or you were talking about, you know, like, how did it make me feel like not being able to quit? Well, in the end, 
when I get emotional talking about this, but um, I drank, I drank for over everything, happy, sad, but I drank a lot when I was sad or depressed and I had undiagnosed depression and drinking just made it so much worse. So in the end, I was suicidal almost every time I drank. And I never talked to anybody about that because the next day I'd be like, thank God I didn't do, I didn't do that, you know, or, or I'd be so mortified, you know, or I'd be so whatever. And I mean, I knew exactly what I was going to do. And, you know, I just, oh, that, you know, there are people say that it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem that so many people that are, that have this disease would find if they found recovery. Like I've never once thought about suicide in, in recovery, but man, it was such a part of my life back then and such a huge secret. So I, yeah, that's, you know, but that still didn't stop me. I still kept drinking. Yeah. There's, there's just so much shame and, and, you know, we, we seek out that confirmation bias. We surround ourselves with people who will accept our behavior. And then like by and large society, it's, you know, alcohol, like, you know, I don't want to demonize alcohol, but it's, it's such a huge part of our culture. And, and, there's a lot of guests on this podcast who say, well, especially where we live. And, and I would say that that where we live, North Dakota, is uh, we we fit that. It's it's part of normal society. And to come out and say we have an issue, it's it's a, it, it, it's a challenge. I feel like things are getting better. And and a lot of the work that you're doing is helping that. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, when we're when we're in it, it's such a such a lonely place. And and yeah, I've I've I share some of those feelings with like i I just didn't know what to do. And I thought maybe there's only one way out. And, and by the grace of God, we're, we're both still here having the conversation. I'm grateful for that. Yeah. You know, it was, it was totally the shame and stigma that kept me from getting help. Totally. What will people think? Oh my, you know, oh, my parent, everybody, what will they think? So anyway, so that it was totally the shame and stigma and yeah. And you know, that's a huge part of the, the problem with this disease, which mm-hmm. is a disease like any other you know, like a lot of other diseases. So yeah, we've got to, we've got to change that so that people know it's a, it's not a choice. It's a brain disease. Well, let's, let's fast forward. What was it that got you to a point and, and how did, how did the, the beginning phases like towards, let's talk about like the end of your drinking, the beginning of your recovery and how that looked. Yeah. So when I got that DUI, I had to go to a mandatory alcohol evaluation class and you would get mandatory treatment, you know, if that's depending on how you answered that questionnaire, which I think I saw some of that on your website. Of course, I lied. I completely lied on that questionnaire, but I knew based on that questionnaire, I had an issue. And then I had to go to this alcohol awareness class or whatever. And then I tried to do some outpatient treatment then, and that didn't didn't work. I kept drinking. Then I at one point I had a, I had a series of situations where I, I got drunk and got into some bad situations. And then the next day I was like, I'm never, ever doing that again. And like three or four days, three or four days later, I did the same thing. So then I decided, okay, I need to go to treatment. So I went to the Mayo Clinic, went to treatment and was there for about 10 days. And I stayed sober for almost two years after that. But I didn't, it was just white knuckle. You know, I didn't, I wasn't even hanging around people that were sober. I, so I relapsed then. And then I drank for another two or three years and then relapsed, you know, on and off. So, uh, you know, over a period of about eight years, I was stopping drinking, 
starting drinking. I get a year of recovery and then I, you know, sobriety and then I drink, but I wasn't, I wasn't really doing what anything of what I really should have been doing. But so in the end, what happened was I was in Fargo actually, and I had been, you know, just really drunk the night before lots more consequences. And I didn't really have a lot of faith. I was raised Catholic, had some bad experiences with Catholicism. Sometimes think I'm still recovering from that, you know? So I was, I was wandering through the park, but I knew there was some, something or someone, you know, I just knew. And I was, I was just so depressed and so ashamed and mortified. And I just said, you know, I don't know. I always get emotional. I talk about this, but I was like, I don't know if there's anybody out there, but if there is, I need help. And I have been sober since I uttered those words. <laughs> and so, I mean, that was like, wow. Like at the time, I didn't really realize because I started getting more, you know, just one day at a time, I started getting some recovery and, and I started being with people that are in recovery and I became part of a recovery community and, and that became my life. And every day just got better and better from the, the first day I met three women that, that I, that I am still really good friends with today. They're kind of like the trio of, of, of people that, you know, I just connect with on a fairly often about life and they are, you know, amazing, but that I, I just started feeling better and better about myself just early on. And, and I started doing just being with people that were trying to stay sober and, and in recovery. And the other thing that I did was, you know, I just had someone who's more like a recovery coach who was like, here's what you should do. And then I did those things. So being a part of a recovery community was the biggest change that I made. And, you know, and now I can look back 19 and a half years later and say that that was sort of a miracle. You know, they're like, I believe that there is a, uh, you know, a, a higher power, a God in my life that is, is guiding my life now. And, you know, it's how I am, where I am today talking to you. But that, that was a moment in my life where that, it, that was the most powerful, I think, point in my life. Because I, if, I, if that had not happened, I don't know where I would be today. I probably would be dead in a, you know, in a car crash or whatever. You know, I just, I don't know. So that, that was the moment. And then every day just got so much better. I just felt, I started feeling so much better about myself. I went to a doctor and realized I had depression. And, and then I started taking medication for that. You know, it's really hard to talk about. It's almost more hard for me to talk about the mental health side of things than it is addiction. You know, it was like really hard for me, really easy in my first few months and year, a couple of years of, of being a first lady, I was like, I can't talk about depression, you know, because what will people think of me? You know, and, then, and now I'm like, they're so connected. It's so important to talk about it. I'm so grateful for that opportunity in my life. And then I, a, a key to the, for me to stay sober is every morning I read meditations. They're about staying sober. They're about being connected to my God. And there, uh, that is just the, the, the best way for me to start the day. And I can talk a little bit more about this decision, you know, when Doug and I, you know, Doug was like, came home one day and said, I want to be governor. And I was like, I can tell you all my thoughts related to my addiction and that, you know, those choices at, at some point. But anyway, that, I guess, I think that was your question was like, what was the turning point? And then how did you, how did you start to feel when you 
you know, when you um, started getting some sobriety. And you, you nailed a few things that I just, I could not agree with more. You talked about the difference with doing it alone for that, that stretch of time, the back and forth, and then just finding community. And we talk about that so much. That's a huge part of what Recovery Elevator does is just spread this word of like, community is key. And I, I believe it's Johan Hari does this, this TED talk about Rat Park. And it's, they did these tests with rats and drugs. And, and the difference was the, the rats that had community, not that we're rats. I don't, maybe I don't like that yeah. analogy or connection <laughs> anyway, but <laughs> community and connection, that's the opposite of addiction. And that's, you know, that was, that was the same, same for me and same for so many others is finding that safe space to, to have someone be able to look at you and be like, yeah, like it's, it's okay. Because I've felt that too. Like maybe you and I have, have different stories, but, but we've, but the feelings, like the feelings behind our stories, I believe they're, they're very similar, if not the same. Completely agree. And I'm just, <laughs> and I, I love too, that you talked about a faith too. That's, you know, that's something that I love to share about. And I would, I would be ecstatic if, if everybody shared my faith, but that, that, you know, that's not necessary. I understand that, but just a belief in, in, in something bigger than ourselves that, that we're a part of. And I, th- I think that's a, uh, a beautiful component of my recovery as well. So thank you for sharing about that. Let's talk about, you know, you did mention, uh, if anybody doesn't know, Doug would be Governor Doug Burgum. That's North Dakota's governor. Uh, and you talked about a little bit of the the trepidation about him running for governor and and what that would mean for you as a, as a person in recovery and and you know with co coexisting things you know recovery and you know al- recovery from alcohol and and mental health what did those what did some of those conversations look like and and how have you you moved forward because now you know several years as in your current role you've you've really stepped up and and like I. Uh, mentioned earlier, you, you're a huge advocate for us. So, how did this transformation into into where we are now with with recovery reinvented? How did that evolve? Yeah, in 2016 or 15, I guess. Let's see, was it 15? Yeah, was when he uh, dis- was thinking about running for governor. I mean, it wasn't. This wasn't like planned, and we didn't have really uh, any conversations about. You know, I mean, it was sort of like. Uh, the perfect storm of a situation where he thought that this might be a, a good op- opportunity for him. And, and he's always wanted to give back and always gives back. And and at that point, I had, I don't know, let's see, if I'm 19, I had like 15 years of recovery. But I never talked about it. Nobody knew. My family knew, you know, some friends knew. But I, I had known people for 10 years who didn't know that I was that I, I was not drinking and and sober. And and I'm I'm really more of an introvert than an extrovert. I mean, I'm I'm really pretty good on one-on-one and in small groups. And it's more the it's more the the time leading up to going to events with big people or whatever, where I'm like, oh, I'd just rather stay home. I'd rather, you know, it's the anxiety that surrounds that. But so when he said that, I was like, first of all, I was like, no, we have a great life. Oh my gosh, politics, what? You know, and <laughs> And then I was like, well, I guess it's not all about me. So, um, <laughs> and I knew, you know, he's, he's just a great leader and amazing man. And so, but I, but I just, we had to talk about, Hey, well, how is this going to work? Because you're campaigning and every event has alcohol. 
and every situation has alcohol or, you know, and there's a lot of meeting and talking to people and whatever. And, you know, some people get energy from that. I sometimes am exhausted, you know, anyway. So I just said, we just have to have some boundaries. Like I, I need to just be able to leave whenever I want to leave, you know, and of course, super supportive of that. And, you know, if it's some events that we have, then it's, you know, it's always that there are, we're hosting or whatever, that there's always coffee available. It's like coffee is my lifeblood. So, you know, it's, so we had these, these agreements and, and then, and then I felt a lot more comfortable. And then, you know, and the other thing he said was, don't worry, I won't win. I mean, I'm going to run for governor, but I I won't win. (laughs) So we'll just give it a shot. And it's six months. He got into the race three months late when someone's like, it's kind of seems kind of impossible. Then for him, that was just, you know, that was the start button. So we, we win the primary, um, it was incredible. It was a really, really great opportunity to meet so many people across our state. The whole campaign was super fun. So we we win. And then and then I do my first interview as first lady um, with the newspaper. And about five minutes before I did that interview, I said to Doug, I'm going to I'm going to talk about my recovery story. And And the reason I decided to do that was because, you know, the opioid situation is awful. It still is. I just felt like in the situation in our state, there, there's a big, we have big mess issues. You know, I just felt like there was, uh, it was, you know, a little bit of a, I, I'm sure it was that power, you know, that person helping guiding my life saying, this is the door you should step through. So Doug was kind of shocked that I was going to talk about it, but he was super supportive, thought it was great. And then, and then once I started talking about it and opened that door, it was a little bit like a hundred pound weight had been lifted off my shoulders too. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, I don't know about you, but I felt like, OK, I I mean, I wasn't really embarrassed or ashamed of it when I was had 15 years at that point. But when I walked through that door, the other thing that that really helped me make that decision is we went and heard this guy named William Moyers. Um, I don't know if you've heard of him, but no. he is a big recovery advocate. He is uh, he he's, uh, works with Hazel and Betty Ford. But I heard him speak at an event in Fargo. And he said, it's really simple. Eliminating the shame and stigma of addiction is really simple. You just have to talk about it. Everybody needs to talk about it. And I was like, wow. So that actually helped me think too, well, I could just start talking about my story and then see you know, what happens. And so that really is how this whole thing started. I never, ever thought I'd be doing this work. You know, I didn't, again, it's just like you put one foot in front of the other and someone's helping to guide my life and- and then, um, you know, my husband that wanted to do behavioral health as a pillar of his. So we have a strong partnership in in this this work that we that that we're both trying to do in our state to help people. And then I, I met with William, and then I met with Pam Sagnus, who's our incredible director of behavioral health. She is amazing. Um, she and her team are just on the forefront of of doing all this great work to help people in our state for behavioral health, mental health, and substance abuse and addictions. And they, you know, I was like, what can I do? Okay. This is my platform. Like, what can I do? And they said, well, one of the best things, one of the first things you could do is have a conference. So then we came up with recovery reinvented, which is the conference and recovery reinvented is really um, branched out into a movement across our state because of every year we have this conference, the governor and I hosted recovery reinvented. We have all these incredible speakers come and then there's all kinds of programs and initiatives and service and people do things in their communities as a result of what they learn at these conferences. And, 
people come to that conference and we actually do, we have people, <laughs> I'll get emotional about this too, but we have people stand up if they're in recovery. And many people have never done that before, you know, and that's really powerful. And then that is uh, that work that I do and, you know, the ability to be a part of the people that I've met along the way. Oh, they, I just, I have people reach out to me, you know, literally almost every week. I have this going on in my life. You know, can you, can you call this person? Can you help this person? Can you, whatever, can you help me get this person into treatment? And I, it is just the work I love to do because uh, it helps me stay sober. You know, it helps me remember, you know, and helps me think about, okay, I remember how I felt in those situations, how hard it was to reach out for help. And so you and I doing this podcast, I, I just feel like I tell people when you talk about it, when you tell your story, you are um, literally saving lives because some person may say, okay, I'm going to have the courage to reach out for help. Uh, so I used to cry. I say this a lot. I used to cry about, oh, poor me. I was a victim of everything in my life when I was drinking and everything is, you know, it's everybody else's fault or whatever. Now I cry. Now these tears are always about gratitude. You know, they're just always about uh, the work that we're able to do. So Recovery Reinvented has become an, an amazing thing in our state. And, and I'm grateful for the opportunity. I do believe that the whole purpose behind it is to eliminate the stigma and shame of, of the disease of addiction. I do believe we are making progress. So I'm really grateful. I love it. I just, I love it. I love it. I love it so much. And I feel like those words are not enough, but that stigma, it keeps, you know, you mentioned it earlier as part of your story, part of my story. It just, it keeps us sick. And by people like you and the people that you're inspiring, you give others permission by being able to look at someone and be like, Hey, like this person is, is talking about it. And like, I understand like not everybody needs to be, uh, you know, doing podcast interviews or, or out in a public forum. But even if it's just in our communities, it, it gives others permission. When we share our story, it lets someone else know that they're, that they're not alone. And it's it, like, what a beautiful gift and Catherine, you, you, you'll probably never know like how many people you've impacted, but each person that, that, that has looked at you, you know, and, and I'm one of those people who has, who has looked at you and what you're doing in our state. And I've thought, you know what, like if such a public figure in our state can speak up about this, like maybe I can, you know, and like, who am I? I'm, I'm, I'm just a guy in, in Beulah, North Dakota, like not, not to say that I'm nothing, but like, I'm just a dude out here in North Dakota. But like in my community, like I've been open and, and I'm an advocate for, for recovery and I, and I like to share my story to where, to the point where my friends are sick of hearing, <laughs> hearing of it. But you know what? Like that's okay. Because if one other person comes and says, Hey, Chris, like, what was like, what was this like for you? How did you, you know, how did you find some help and how did you feel? And you know, maybe that person will, will, will be able to overcome what they've been, you know, what has been crippling them for so long. And then maybe they'll be able to help someone. And we'll, we, we will never know the amount of people who have been affected and it doesn't matter, but it's like, what a blessing and a gift. And I think it's, I just, I can't tell you how important I think this work is. And it's, I'm so, so grateful. And, uh, I, we're setting the stage even up here in, in little North Dakota. I think this is an amazing <laughs> state, but we're helping to set the stage for, for a greater movement. Uh, you know, across our country and it's needed so desperately. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, 
I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, the things that have evolved out of, and this, you know, this would have happened anyway, but like this whole network of peer support specialists we have in our state, Yeah. you know, we're a small state, we're a rural state, 50% of the, you know, of our state is rural and we're never going to have the resources available for everybody who needs behavioral health services. So now we have over 400 people that are trained as peer support specialists in our state. And they man, they man or woman, the, they, they're on the lines, uh, the phone lines of the <laughs> of the um, uh, 24-7 helpline. Uh, we've got these peer support specialists and then they will help people. They've got lived experience um, with behavioral health, with mental health and uh, addiction. And, you know, to be able to have that many people in our state that are available to help people, especially in our rural communities, that's that's amazing. So. And the work that you guys are doing, I mean, this whole podcast, this whole, the whole network, the trips you guys take. I mean, I was on your website and I was like, cheapers, I need to sign up for one of those trips pretty soon. But anyway, so the work that you do is amazing. But yeah, I, I don't think that there is any more important work that I can do in my life than this. This is it. <laughs> this is what I, this is what I truly enjoy doing. And, and, and I'm really grateful. For what it's worth, I think you're doing a fantastic job and 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 it's it's not just that person who struggles with addiction that that you're helping. It's that, you know, like I'm a person in recovery. I've got two kids, I've got a wife, I've got coworkers, I've got parents. You know, it's it's this network, this huge all encompassing thing. There's so many people, you know, when, when a person is able to get into recovery and help themselves, uh, how many other people that it, it just improves, it improves lives all around. And I think it's right. Beautiful. Right. And, you know, I think the thing that is most important about this work we do is that it's, it's just to remind people never to give up hope. Mm-hmm. There's always hope. There's always another day when you can try again. You know, there's always somebody you can reach out to. That's, you know, for me, because after eight years of relapsing, I was pretty, pretty much thinking, I, uh, this is never going to happen for me, you know? And so, and and then here, here I am today, here you are today, you know, yeah. it's, there's always hope for sobriety and recovery. That's right. And I, I don't think either one of us at, at our low moments ever saw that, but it it's there. It just, mm-hmm. and I just want to encourage people just have that willingness, keep going, keep, keep seeking. And it's, it's there. You can get there and there's others to help you. You're not alone. Let's talk about, uh, for a couple minutes, Recovery Reinvented 2021. We're in October now. This podcast will air on the 4th. So okay. shortly, in a, yeah. in, a, in a few short weeks, we're going to be at the 2021 Recovery Reinvented event. Uh, what can we expect to see this year? Right, right. Well, this will be our fifth Recovery Reinvented wow. that the governor and I host which is so much fun to be able to do together. And, you know, every year we have had core themes. The one that's always central is eliminating the shame and stigma of addiction. And then we sort of branch out into more mental health issues or building recovery support at work, which is really the kind of the two other things we're focusing on also. So it's October 25th, all day long. People can, let me just get the primary points out here, but People can register at recoveryreinvented.com, recoveryreinvented.com. And it, it'll be, you can come in person, be there in person, or you can join online. And it's free. It's completely free because we have incredible sponsors that help us. They know how important this work is. 
So they are super generous and they help us get this, uh, you know, this conference available to people for free. But we need to have people to register and tell us whether they're going to be there in person or be there online so that we can plan for lunch and coffee and all that stuff for the people that are in person and a bandwidth and all that for online. So, and then when you register, you can also nominate recovery champions. We give awards out every year for five years. Now we've given out awards to people that have gone above and beyond to help people in this world that we we're dealing with this behavioral health world. And, and then we also need people to volunteer so we can do that at, at recoveryreinvented.com. And then we have, usually we have a lot of incredible speakers and we've had everyone, we have people on the national level, um, we have people on local level. And these speakers are kind of more like TED Talk speakers. They're not an hour long, they're a shorter time frame. And this year we have Dr. Joe Lee, who is the CEO of Hazel and Betty Ford. Oh, and wow. I, yeah, he's, he's awesome. I've been fortunate enough to actually be on the board uh, of, uh, of trustees for Hazel and Betty Ford. Let me tell you, when I, when I got that call and they were like, Hey, do you want to, I was like, <laughs> how did this ever happen to me? Because it's sort of like the Hazel and Betty Ford for me was like the Holy grail, you know, I yeah. mean, like the epitome. And so I'm really grateful for that opportunity, but he is an amazing guy. He's a um, younger CEO. He focuses on behavioral health. He's a child psychologist. He understands young people, mental illness and, and addiction and families and all. And so anyway, he's really and he's a great leader for Hazel and Betty Ford. So we're super excited about him. And then we have a woman named Dr. Valerie, Valerie Earnshaw, who's going to speak. She's a researcher. She's going to help us talk about the results of a survey that we did over the summer. So we, we put out a survey. Over 2,500 people actually responded to the survey. And Va Dr. Valerie and her team are like sort of shocked because we they never get that many people to respond to a survey, but thank you, North Dakota, for stepping up to the plate. Yeah. And so, and the survey is about how do people feel about stigma in our state? How do people feel about it? How do pe how do people you know are they discriminating? Are they you know what what's happening? So we're going to talk about the results of that survey. That survey is really going to get national attention because these are legit people that are very respected and very well known. Um, in, in this work that they do. And so, so we're excited to have Valerie share that information. Then we got a guy named Jonathan Holt, who's a North Dakota guy. He's one of the owners of the Toasted Frog, which people probably know. Great yeah. restaurants across our state. Yes. Jonathan's been in recovery for a lot of years. He's a big advocate. He's on our Office of Recovery Reinvented Council. Um, and he also, because he's a business owner, talk, can talk pretty openly and and um, with experience of how it's what it's like to build recovery support at work, which is one of the things that we are really focusing on as well is, you know, how do we because, you know, it's like there's over 20, 25 million people across the nation that have the disease of addiction and 70 percent of them are employed full or part time. So it doesn't just, you know, you don't just leave it at the door when you go to work. So Jonathan can talk about that. And then and then we have another amazing woman. Um, Lori Johnson Wade, who is actually a, um, she's in recovery, been in recovery a long time. And then she started a recovery community organization, which is something that we're trying to do in our state, which we have now uh, in several places where people can go to learn about services, peer support specialists can, can sort of provide services out of there. 
But a big part of the work they do is helping to educate about the disease of addiction, eliminating shame and stigma. She's going to be joining us too. So it's going to be an a, incredible, it starts from 9.30 to 5, I think is how the day goes, but it goes very fast because the speakers, um, I have shorter amounts of time to speak. We have music, we have art, you know, there's just a, there's a project that people that are there work on all day long. And then we, we show that at the end of the day. So it's just going to be, you know, another fantastic day. And last year we were completely online because of COVID and we had over 5,000 people join us throughout the day from all over the world, France and Germany and Thailand. I was like, that is so cool. I'm so excited about that. So uh, anyway, we're, uh, we're just really grateful for the opportunity to do the, do the work. And, you know, I'm grateful to William Moyers and Pam Sagnus for, you know, really coming up with that idea and, and, you know, given, given us the platform. And so we invite everyone to join. It's free. Um, just come and put it on in the background if you're at home, you know, peeling carrots or whatever, and you can uh, just listen. <laughs> It'll be fun. Recovery Elevator, we're going to put all uh, all the the information in the show notes. So uh, okay. get, get out there and, and sign up for Recovery Reinvented. It sounds like you have an amazing lineup. I've been able to um, to participate online last year and i'm i'm excited to be able to go in person this year uh, i can't wait to, to be surrounded by uh so many amazing people and to be able to to see the stuff in person so this is my call to our recovery elevator audience get out there sign up check it out and free completely free what a what a blessing the other thing i want to say is throughout the day we also have people telling their stories of how they're affected by the disease of addiction they're little like five minute vignettes and they'll be on stage telling their stories. And that takes a lot of courage, but it is the storytelling that helps eliminate stigma. So that's a big part of our day also. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait. Yeah. Well, Catherine, we are towards the end and we always do at the end of our podcast, we do a little rapid fire section. So I've got uh, just a couple questions for you in 30 to 60 seconds. You're in the hot seat now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Uh, number one, what was your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking? Uh, that my life, I wouldn't have any more fun. My sort of life would be over and boring. I think that's, I think that's very common. Number two, the opposite of that. What's a positive that you didn't expect in a life without alcohol? I never expected to do a TEDx talk about my story. That's yeah, that's, <laughs> which I did. That's a pretty cool <laughs> positive. <laughs> Number three, what is your favorite resource in recovery? It could be a, a book, an app, anything like that. Yeah. Well, I would say my favorite resource is the meditation book that I do every, you know, the meditations I do every morning. And it's my recovery community. You know, it's the people, my friends that are in sober, you know, it's my recovery community. I like that. And number four, what parting piece of guidance can you give our listeners who are in recovery or thinking about getting sober? If you're thinking about getting sober, do just do it as soon as you can, because then the minute you do reach out for help, you can start, you can t take that weight off your shoulders that's preventing you from getting help. Every day will start get to, to get better. Every hour, every minute, you'll just start to feel better and, you know, surround yourself with people that can help you find a recovery community and, and get connected with this amazing podcast and group because uh, that this sounds like an incredible community. And last, but certainly, certainly not least, uh, we do a thing uh, 
on this podcast uh, called "You Might Need to Ditch the Booze If." Yeah. So, <laughs> do, you, do yeah. you get the you get the concept? Yes, I do. Yeah. All right. What is your favorite "You Might Need to Ditch the Booze If" line? If you're driving 90 miles an hour to get to the liquor store before it closes, and you get pulled over by a police officer, and you're getting a ticket, and the only thing you can think about is this needs to go a lot faster so I can get to the liquor store before they close because I won't be able to, you know, buy my alcohol. So $200 later and a ticket later, you're still speeding to the liquor store. And, you know, so, yeah. (laughs) You might need to ditch the booze. Might need. (laughs) Speed it up, officer. I got stuff to do. (laughs) Catherine, thank you so much for your time. Just what a a treat for me. Uh, I'm just incredibly honored to be able to have some time with you. And I just want to thank you so much again for, for, for your time and for the work that you do. You're changing people's lives. Thank you, Chris. Um, I have so enjoyed this and I am really looking forward to meeting you in person at Recovery Reinvented. And thank you to, you know, um, Paul and your team and, you know, everyone for the great work that you do. I just, I'm, I'm super excited. I will be telling people about you know, your website and uh, is new people new in recovery because what a great community for them to become a part of. So thank you for all the great work you're doing. I'm so grateful. Recovery Elevator, thanks for listening. And another huge thank you to Catherine. You're a voice to the voiceless, an advocate to those still suffering, and a sister to those of us in recovery. We appreciate you. I want to encourage everyone to head on over to recoveryreinvented.com and check them out. Whether you're thinking about recovery, are a person in recovery, a parent, a loved one, or an employer of someone dealing with addiction, there's a ton of resources that are easy to access on their site. If you go to the events section, you can learn more about Recovery Reinvented 2021 and even check out what they've done at their past events. Like the First Lady said, this is their fifth annual event. It's completely free to attend and you can go in person or attend it virtually. And just like their site, the event is for anyone that has been affected by addiction. Again, the event is taking place Monday, October 25th from 9.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central Time. You can register online at recoveryreinvented.com and all the links will be listed in our show notes. If any of our listeners plan on attending in person in Bismarck, please hit me up. It would be awesome to see some of you. Let me know by emailing me at chris at recoveryelevator.com. That's K-R-I-S at recoveryelevator.com. I've been listening to the song Ring and Robe by Bethel Music on repeat lately. Thank you, Amy. I'm going to share a couple lines with you. This may be a shout that those fragile lungs can't bear, but if we shout long enough, the walls might finally fall. And they may need some help to lift their hands up in the air, but we know that freedom's coming, so we'll sing it all the more. The redeemed now have a song, and we'll sing it all day long. Until the rest come running home, all the broken, can you hear? We'll shout it out forever. We can't wait till you make it here. Welcome home. I want to leave you with one last question. What could your voice do? Have you ever heard a story that spoke to you, that you felt in your bones, that pushed you to make that next move? When we share our experience, we never know the impact that that might have on someone else. What song could you sing, Recovery Elevator? And why not you? 
This is how we do it. I'm over the stigma. I'm here to grow. I'm here to heal. I'm here to recover. And I'm here to live out loud. Shame, fear, anger, you're not welcome here. We're stepping into freedom and we're living from a place of victory. Recovery Elevator, you're the only one that can do this, but you don't have to do it alone. I love you. How do you know this is the experience you need? Because this is the experience you're having at this moment. In the seeing of who you are not, the reality of who you are emerges by itself.